Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. You are tuned in to Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown. Um, The first thing that I want to say and put out are my condolences uh, for the passing on to the ancestors of Wadia Jamal, the wife partner of Mumia Abu Jamal. This must be a very painful, extra painful time for him and his loved ones. So again, our condolences go out to Wadia Jamal, who passed on to the ancestors just very recently here. Also, we are still in our fun drive um, till the end of the year, and we are looking to raise um, at least $75,000. I'm not sure if we are there. I hope we are. And even if we are, please continue to give and tell your people to give to this fantastic radio station. Um, You can make your donations easily online by going to kpoo.com and donating there very easily, or you can send in a check or money order to, uh, and make that check or money order to KPOO and send it to KPOO PO Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. And lastly, uh, please excuse the frog in my throat. I seem to be getting over some kind of laryngitis or something. Um, I lost my voice um, over the weekend, and I am just getting back to it. So uh, bear with me. Okay, so in my uh, search uh, to get some information with the work that I do at the San Francisco Bayview newspaper, um, I came across an article by Sanika Shakur. So I'm going to first read the article, and then there's a a YouTube video that goes along with it, so then we will actually hear from Sanika Shakur, who many of you may know, many of you may not, uh, but he was a former gang member uh, known as Monster or Monster Cody and made a profound uh, transformation and claimed his new African identity, changed his name to Sanika Shakur, and um, became an activist, a writer, he actually has two books, A Monster, the autobiography in LA, of an L.A. gang member. It's very, very intense, but a really good read. And um, Stand Up, Struggle Forward, when he finally made his transformation uh, from gang member to new African revolutionary. Um, both quite um, something to read. Uh, Stand Up, Struggle Forward is one of my favorites. And... Um, Senika Shakur passed on to the ancestors in, I believe, it was June or July of 2021. All right. All right, so here is the article, Black August 3rd Collective and Prison, The Struggle. I am focused. I am productive. I am cooperative. I am flexible. I am empowered. I am confident. Senika Shakur, August 3rd Collective, on July 1st, hunger strike and the treatment of prisoners for having Comrade George Jackson's material. I was given an indeterminate shoe in 1989 for being a threat to the institutional security. The CDC cited writings I had from Comrade Brother George, exercising in military fashion with known revolutionaries and conducting joint military maneuvers with other formations in the new African independence movement. 
I came up for an inactive review in 2008, but the political police said my name was found on a roster of known and active members of various formations in the cell of a new African on San Quentin's death row. For this, and writing Black August in a letter, I was given an additional six years in the shoe on an indeterminate status. I have, like others in the shoe class, stood firm through it and will continue to do so until I am no more. We of the August 3rd Collective of the New African Independence Movement will join in and support the July 1st hunger strike in resistance to the draconian treatment meted out against all shoe prisoners. Now, what I'm not exactly sure about um, is did a, did a hunger strike happen on July 1st um, after the historic California hunger strikes? I don't think so. I think that he's thinking going back in time. And so I really do appreciate that um, he was a, a part of those first uh, hunger strikes and um, that happened in 2011. So I think he's going back and talking about that. All right, who are you? We are the ones who refuse to be captured in Africa without a fight, who staged daring raids on enemy supply lines and brought our nationals back to freedom. We are the ones who made longer, sharper spears, thicker shields, and turned our backs on collaborating kings. We are the ones who, on the high seas en route to the, quote, new world, brought new forms of combat to bear on our oppressors. We are the ones who couldn't be broken, who kept our languages in circulation, our spirits alive and our minds free of foreign gods and hostile demons. We are those who, on a move, became Maroons, who settled the Geechee Islands, fought alongside the indigenous nations until we too became indigenous. We are the ones who couldn't be broken. We kept our languages in circulation, our spirits alive and our minds free of foreign gods and hostile demons. We are the ones who, in the midst of the first 2,000 seasons, a thousand dry, a thousand wet, birthed new ideas of national existence and national continuity. We are the ones that whispered, strike now, to Nat Turner, who plotted and planned with Denmark Vesey and Gabriel Prosser. We are the same blood as the general, Harriet Tubman. We are the ones who didn't need to be freed by the 13th Amendment because we had never been anyone's slave. We are the same ones who laughingly rejected the 14th Amendment to make us citizens of the oppressor nation. And when the so-called Negroes fell for the farce of reconstruction, we had long been organized and waiting for the Klan. When bourgeois Negroes formed the NAACP, we formed the African Blood Brotherhood and Universal Negro Improvement Association. When the White Citizens Council attacked the civil rights movement, we struck back as the deacons for defense. We are the ones who left the right-wing reactionary nation of Islam with Malcolm X. When the White Citizens Council attacked the civil rights movement, we struck back as the deacons for defense. We are the ones who organized the ghettos from California to Philly as the Revolutionary Action Movement. We were in Monroe with Robert and Mabel Williams. We sat at the feet of Queen Mother Moore, Ella Baker, and Dara Abu Bakari. We are the ones who adopted the attacking Black Panther as our symbol. Those who stared down pigs, created Black student unions, and fed free breakfast to children. We sharpened the, contra we sharpened the contradiction. We are the ones who, realizing the neo-colonial nature of the term Negro, changed our national identity to black. When that term, too, had been co-opted by opportunists and counter-revolutionaries, we are the ones who converged on Detroit 500 deep and brought into existence the new African national identity. 
We are the ones who said Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and South Carolina is the national territory. We are the ones who breathed life into the Black Liberation Army, who proceeded to combat our historical enemies from coast to coast and all areas in between. We were on the roof in New Orleans with Mark X Essex, in South Central LA with Geronimo Gijaga, in El Malik at the Capitol with the NRA too. We are the ones who were in Chicago with Santa Bear and Spurgeon, Jake Winters, in Attica with LD and Sal Sam Melville. We were in Soledad with George, Fleeta, and John, in the Marin County Courthouse with Jonathan, William, James, and Rochelle. We are the ones who were with George, Hugo, and Bato in San Quentin. We are the ones from the George L. Jackson assault squad of the BLA in San Francisco. We are the ones in both Olubala and Amistad collectives of the BLA. And that was us in the five percenter BLA units too. We invaded the tombs to free our comrades and went underwater to assault Rikers Island as well. We are the ones who made Nikki Barnes run to the Italian mob for protection. We are the ones who were in support of the United Freedom Front, the May 19th Communist Organization, the George Jackson Brigade, the Sam Melville Jonathan Jackson Unit, and the Prairie Fire John Brown Anti-Klan Committee. We are the ones who introduced Comrade Sister Asada Shakur to Fidel and Raul. We hooked Brother Williams up with Mao and Chow and Lai. We are the ones who defended the people in a raging gun battle against pigs at Aretha Franklin's father's church in Detroit. We are the ones who brought you Kuwazi Balagoon, Dr. Matulu Shakur, Nihanda Abiyadun, Fulani Sunni Ali, Safia Bukhari, Yasmin Fula, Afeni Shakur, Sundiata Akoli, Miliki Shakur Latin, Seku Odinga, Jalil Muntakim, Ermin Bell, and all the other stalwart standard bearers of liberation. We are the ones who speak truth to power, who practice our theories, who are the messages we bring. We are the ones in the Provisional Government Republic of New Africa People's Center Council, the People's Revolutionary Leadership Council, New African People's Organization, New African Panthers, New African Scouts, Spear and Shield Collective, Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, August 3rd Collective, New African Security Forces, Revolutionary Armed Task Force, New African People's Liberation Army, and New African Women for Self-Determination, and will be many and will be in many more to come. We are the ones who support the Puerto Rican independence, the, Mexican, the Mexicano-Chicano movement, the American Indian movement, and all other revolutionary struggles for freedom against capitalist imperialism. We are those who stand firm against patriarchy, heterosexualism, and liberalism. We are those that study Butch Lee, Jay Sakai, Owusu, Yaki Yakubu, Chokwe Lumumba, Mukungu Akinyele, Che, Cabral, Fanon, and Dr. John Enrique Clark. We are the ones who know that revolution without women ain't happening. We are the ones the enemies call criminals, terrorists, gangs, militants, leftists, hum uh, separatists, radicals, feminists, worst of the worst, America's most wanted, and enemy combatants, whatever. We call ourselves humans. We are new African revolutionaries, those who weren't afraid. Who are you? free the land. Senyika Shakur Transformation, The Shoe Solitary Confinement, POWs, Political Prisoners, New African Independence Movement. 
All right, so we're going to hear this interview that was done. I don't know who it was done by, but we will hear a woman um, interviewing Sanika Shakur um, about his transformation, political prisoners, prisoners of war, new African independence movement, um, independence, and nationhood. He starts, or the video uh, starts with the song by Gil Scott Heron, Winter in America. So... I am going to play that here, and then we are going to get into the interview. From the town to the nation, we'd like to do a song for you about the larger picture. There's only one season lately. There used to be an agreement between the seasons that they would all come and stay for three months and then go to wherever seasons go when they're not where we are. Lately, there has been no spring no summer and no fall. Politically and philosophically and psychologically, there has only been the season of ice. It is a season of frozen dreams and frozen nightmares, a scene of frozen progress and frozen ideas, frozen aspirations and inspirations. They call the season winter. We call the song Winter in America. Free society will restore the 
that we tend to sometimes display sleeping disease disorders when it comes to uh, overstanding our need to politically be aware that anyone who comes along and tries to sound the alarm that we need to wake up and shake ourselves of this particular disease, then those those people or that individual, whoever she or he may be, is deemed a threat and therefore they are they are shut down. So I, I don't represent anything uh, abnormal about being shut down. I think a lot of political prisoners and prisoners of war are um, feared uh, by the state from ever getting out or being able to uh, articulate the position to the people of our status and the status of where we need to go as a people, as a nation, as a movement, as an organization, as a party. So no doubt about it, they fear um, what it is I may say um, because they've said so much to me uh, uh, over the phone and in person that they fear I may rile up the youth um, with some type of subversive uh, rhetoric. So that, that, that no doubt is uh, one of their fears. We understand that you spent four years in the control unit at Pelican Bay State Prison. Can you tell us what that's like? Yeah, I spent four years in um, solitary confinement in Pelican Bay. Um, I was there not as a result of a rules violation. I was there not as a result of um, anything I've done physically prior to being put there. I was put in the Pelican Bay Control Unit primarily because of the politics that I stress, the politics that I live by. And um, I was deemed a threat to institutional security. I was kept in the control unit in a cell for four years for 22 and a half hours a day. Um, that includes environmental, sensory, uh, social deprivation, and um, the control unit was pretty much a unit that was housed or that houses um, people who exemplify radical or non-traditional in the American sense. Um, politics. Now, while there were some criminals there, the majority of people who were there were there as a result of politics, me being one of them. Anyone who uh, tends to exert themselves uh, politically, consciously, about the exploitation of prisoners or about the oppression and genocidal clamping down of nationals, oppressed people, then they tend to be candidates for control units. Pelican Bay is no different than Westville, the control complex in Westville, Indiana, or the MCU at Trenton State, or Florence, or previously to that, Marion. And um, the control unit is to control revolutionary attitudes, like the warden once said at Marion. So Pelican Bay, as a control unit has worked in one sense and of course it has failed in another and worked in one sense that it socially isolates politically conscious cats and prevents us from being out among the general population where we can agitate, educate, and organize 
But in another sense, what it has done is uh, concentrated those politically active people in one particular place where we still have communication and we still can let the drums beat and communicate and vibe and uh, create dialogue and hopefully uh, avenues to rebuild the new African independence movement in correlation with other movements and um, other organizations to whom we share uh, an affinity. Can you explain the reason behind the proliferation of the control units? Well, the proliferation of control units is all in response to the rising uh, uh, consciousness amongst prisoners, or should I say a re-rising of consciousness amongst prisoners, because the prisoners, as uh, Comrade George once said, have, am have ample amount of time to sit and read, to write, to articulate, to vibe on certain issues that people in society um, don't have because of, of full schedules. And not to say prisoners don't have full schedules, but there's just more time. So when you have conscious revolutionaries out amongst people in the general population, you have um, a problem because there's so much exploitation, worker-wise, uh, there's just racist abuse by pigs, there is um, uh, the parasitical criminal element to, uh, of which prisoners, conscious revolutionaries must deal with. Then you have um, uh, prisoner organizations who uh, wish to uh, dominate things. So. The control unit and the proliferation of such is to get those individuals off the general populations, out of the main lines, those who uh, tend to exhibit, um, exemplify leadership qualities, uh, politically conscious cats, those who wish uh, or uh, have exhibited uh, uh, jailhouse lawyer potentials to uh, help with litigations and to stop repressive tactics like racist um, repression and just genocidal violence. So the proliferation of control units is in response to our potential and things that we have done and they feel that we can do if we ever get ourselves together. And that's why control units, um, with Pelican Bay being the flagship of a lot of control units, are proliferating from one end of the empire to the next. Uh, control units are a definite way to isolate those they deem the threat, to make people believe that these people are incorrigible because there are no educational, religious, vocational uh, programs in the whole. One is just locked in 23, 22 and a half hours a day um, and left alone. Windowless cells, low ceilings, um, walk along yards. It's just a tactic, a technique to try and break the prisoner down and make him or her believe that um, nothing is possible. However, the revolutionary spirit continually rises above that. And if one is firm and can remain firm, then one can live through that. However, there are people in instances where individuals have, uh, their, their, their minds have broken as a, as a consequence of the social, environmental, and sensory deprivation of places like Pelican Bay. So the proliferation of control units in a nutshell is primarily to isolate individuals physically, um, monitor individuals through surveillance of mail, um, 
and visits to cosmetically remove what they deem a problem and just have this out of sight, out of mind thing. Because the revolutionary spirit cannot be isolated, cannot be destroyed, cannot be killed in any way by a control unit. But they figure if they can lock us away, away from the general population of those we need to mingle with, then the college race will have a harder time getting to the population. So that's basically what that's about. That's why there's proliferation. How did you become a new African national? I was initially, of course, a criminal. I uh, belonged to a street organization. Um, I grew up in South Central. And um, I was captured in 1984 for a crime committed against uh, other new African people in which a gun battle uh, was the result and some people were wounded. I was put in the hole of San Quentin for 28 months and it was there that I was turned on to the new African independence movement in general and the Spearship Collective in particular. And um, I pledged my allegiance then to um, the independence of the nation, to the new African ideology, the theory, the philosophy of the Spearship Collective. And I um, continue to transform through study and struggle my mentality from criminality to revolutionary nationalism. And I struggled in concert with brothers who were there, who were conscious, who felt a need to, and the um, obligation to raise up cats like myself um, and so I became a conscious New African citizen in 86, 21 years after the death of Malcolm X, through uh, an invitation by revolutionary brothers who felt that I had potential and that I could be and represent the nation, the organization, and brothers and sisters at large. So I became a New African nationalist from the heart, because that's where the revolution began, to the mind, to the people, and um, I've been struggling ever since, consciously. And what is needed to make the new African independence movement more popular today? Well, the popularity of any movement depends primarily upon the practice of cadre in conjunction with the people, and so in order to root ourselves, to make the movement more viable or more inclusive for a massive amount of new African people, we, we are going to need to, first and foremost, get our theory, our philosophy, and our ideology intact. Once cadres have that, understanding the necessity of these three indispensable components of any revolutionary movement, then they will, or we will, be able to go out among the people and disseminate our particular philosophy through our theory and our ideology. We must have a class-based criteria for not just recruitment, but association. Understanding, however, that the proletariat, the new African proletariat, is a vast 
amount of people and that if we recruit or mingle and deal on a level that's conducive to our struggle, meaning the working class, we will have better results. However, this does not negate the fact that we need to uh, be popular amongst all classes of new Africans, and not just the working class, but primarily the working class, but we also need to have uh, roots in every particular strata of the new African population. We popularize the, the, the movement through practice, because this is what people understand. Immediate needs, immediate things that they can see results on hand. People want to feel safe. People don't want to be held hostage in their homes, either by criminals or pigs, by unjust laws or genocidal tactics, whether they're perpetrated by whomever. So, to popularize the New African Independence Movement, we're going to have to do legwork. We're going to have to go to the people wherever they are and deal with the people. It's the old adage, from the masses to the masses. That's a true axiom. Nothing can ever be further from uh, being closer to the truth. And that's the reality of our situation. That's what we must do as a people, as cadres, as revolutionaries. It's our obligation. So, no movement has ever won its struggle unless it was truly popular. And this is what we need to do. So this is how we popularize uh, the New African Independence Movement in every particular uh, age group, every particular strata, every um, situation our people find themselves in whether it's in prison or in college, whether it's at Morehouse or Pelican Bay, whether it's at Florence or Alcorn State, whether it's at DePaul or whether it's at a juvenile hall or a youth authority um, or in a boardroom, we must reach new African people, primarily the working class. The whole issue of political prisoners and prisoners of war strikes terror in the beast, in the state, in the empire, and the imperialists. Comrade George Jackson was a common criminal, thief on the street, and was captured at the age of 18 and transformed his criminal mentality over an 11-year period to be a revolutionary, to be a representative of working class people. He eventually became a Black Panther and a prisoner of war as a consequence of the struggle that was going on in the prisons at that particular time and at large. Comrade Brother Fred Hampton, another brother who was a Panther, who was also murdered, assassinated, much like Comrade George Jackson, as a response the seriousness of what they represented. George, excuse me, Fred himself was put in prison um, because they said he stole ice cream and distributed amongst children, $70 of ice cream. He was eventually given three years in prison. In fact, he was murdered while he was out on bail. But this is the type of thing we're talking about. 
Brother Malcolm X was a prisoner, a common criminal, and transformed his mentality while he was a prisoner and came out of prison a new man of whom we know today as El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz or Malcolm X. The point is that prisoners have the capacity, the ability, like anyone else, to transform themselves and become productive, conscious revolutionaries who, by any means necessary, will struggle to the death like any other person. And this is what the state fears. So, to sum it up and to end it all for this particular segment, we must support our prisoners of war, our political prisoners, and all conscious people who are involved in our movements, in our organizations, in our nations. Otherwise, the beast will step in with a surrogate program and turn people against us. With that, I just want to say, be build, free land, free all new African political prisoners and prisoners of war. All right. Um, I first want to make a little bit of an apology. I know there was a lot of uh, background noise. Unfortunately, that came with the YouTube uh, recording. Um, so there you have it. I was hoping I was going to be able to bring uh, some uh, recordings of some other voices, but um, now that I am hearing them, uh, there's there's a little bit, uh, there's too much uh, breaking up and choppiness, unfortunately. So I am not going to uh, subject your ears to that. So in the meantime, I am going to continue reading the indictment, uh, the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex. We've had a little bit of a break from our conversations with Joka Hashima Jensai, who wrote this as a concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. And um, so we are still have counts seven, eight, and nine to read, and I think I think it goes up to nine, could be ten, but I'm going to read uh, these counts because they are they're integral to what is taking place with uh, the political prisoners that Sanika Shakur was talking about and the the hunger strike elders that. Uh, you hear me speak of time and time again, Joka Hashima Jinsai and Abdul Olubala being just two of them. And uh, the fact that they are still imprisoned, they have been subjected to decades of the torture of solitary confinement meant to break them. Um, and for reasons that you just heard Sanyika Shakur talk about. Uh, so many, most of these men are still inside, um, and um, we are still, uh, people, family, friends, supporters are still working incredibly hard to bring our political prisoners home, to bring our prisoners of war home, to bring home our politicized prisoners, especially here in California, uh, who have been in since their youth. And now they are elders um, with multiple uh, layered uh, medical conditions and just the simple fact that their human rights are being violated on a 
24-7 basis by the simple fact that they are not free um, out here with all of us yet. So I'm going to read indictment count number seven, slavery and trafficking in persons. CDCR has engaged in a pattern and practice of de facto commoditization of criminal offenders and farming out prison contracts to private prison operators, both in California and out of state. In all cases of imprisonment in the United States, like those subject to the custody of CDC small r, citizenship is effectively stripped by and through the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Prisoners are subject to involuntary servitude and are by legal definition slaves. Prisoners cannot strike to protest inhumane treatment, cannot vote, cannot freely pursue their political, religious, or social expression without the regulation or express permission of the state. CDC small r and its political proxy, the CCPOA, which is the California Correctional Peace Officers Association, how they can actually put the word peace in there is it's beyond me, um, has taken this concept to new levels of profiteering by assigning a specific dollar amount to each prisoner based on their custody level and the institution they're housed in. In California, if you are housed in GP, general population, CDC small r, as of fiscal year 2020 and 2021, receives an average of $106,000 a year per prisoner. For ADSEG and SHU, it's $127,000 per prisoner. And for those housed in SHU, short corridor, or other high-power units, $135,000 per prisoner annually. Of course, it only costs a fraction of this between $8,000 and $15,000 per year, depending on the health of the prisoner, to feed, clothe, house, and confine a prisoner in a concrete box annually. The rest goes to enrich CDC small r officers, officials, contractors, medical staff, private prisons, and or their corporate suppliers, including medical services companies. To ensure the exorbitant multi-billion dollar operating budget continues to flow from the general fund, CDC small r carries out a carefully orchestrated political influence and public propaganda campaign to ensure passage and ongoing public support for some of the most draconian mandatory minimum laws and sentencing statutes in the U.S. over the past 30 years. In a 20-year span, from 1985 to 2005, the CDC small r prisoner population expanded by 800%. This includes their juvenile corrections divisions, the California Youth Authority. CDC small r officers are the highest paid correctional officers in America, also known as America with three Ks, with base salaries starting at $68,000 plus benefits and average annual pay of $98,000 a year. To be sure, though crime rates have been on a continuous downward slide for the past 25 years, prison populations have only increased, as had CDC small r's share of the general fund. For example, in fiscal year 2015-2016, CDC small r's portion of the general fund rose by 1.7% from $9.55 billion to $10.16 billion while overall state spending only rose 1.4%. Demonstrating CDC small r spending is increasing faster than the budget average. To be sure, CDC small r was allotted an additional $2.516 billion in special funding, bringing their actual budget up to 
$12.676 billion of your tax dollars. This is not counting the funding the state set aside for 15,892 beds leased from private prison corporations both in California and out of state from Geo Group and Correctional Corporation of America, not to mention the additional funds to expand new beds in existing facilities. In spite of this, CDC Small R is currently operating with a total prisoner population over 141.5% of its designed capacity. All of this in the face of realignment and passage of multiple propositions, Prop 26, Prop 47, Prop 57, etc., designed to decrease the prisoner population. The source comes from California's United for a Responsible Budget, and this is in 2015-2016. We'll get to uh, the most current budgets um, in um, in a later episode. These exorbitant salaries vastly increased by routine overtime hustling by staff. With overtime pay, correctional officers can average 98 to 120,000 a year are based on a single premise. The number of humans under correctional control at any given time determines how much or how little of the general fund CDC small r can operate. Excuse me, appropriate. The more humans they have in chains, the more money they control. The prison industrial slave complex, PISC, is just that, an industry based on the legalization of human bondage, a collusion of state and corporate interests who have utilized their political influence in the legislative and judicial branches of the state to target specific populations. The prison population is overwhelmingly new African, black, Latinos, and the poor for criminalization and legal enslavement through mass incarceration with their primary motive force being their economic enrichment and the maximization of their political power. Though slavery and trafficking in persons is prohibited under Title 18 USC S1581 S1592, it is permissible for those convicted of a felony under the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, creating a legal slavery provision for those communities and populations subject to criminalization via the CCPOA influence policies and legislation. The fact that slavery and involuntary servitude have not been expressly prohibited for all populations under U.S. law is the best proof of the willful collusion of state and corporate interests in this criminal enterprise. Criminal enterprise. They provide the state with an effective social control mechanism, mass incarceration, while acting as an influential base of political support for politicians amicable amicable to their agenda, albeit an artificially manufactured political base of prison guards, employees, and their family members. In return, the state allows CDC small r and their corporate partners to run this racket on the backs of black, brown, and poor people unmolested and under color of law. That prisoners offset the operation costs of running those running these facilities by providing compulsory labor in almost every aspect of operation goes without saying, as involuntary servitude is a standard component of slavery. And this is how it was also designed to give, to um, <clears throat> once the courts have done their thing, acting in collusion and also uh, corruptly, but they just leave the um, the rest of the standards and operati- operations inside of the prisons to the guards and staff. This pattern and practice of modern-day slavery and trafficking in persons, though permissible under U.S. law, see USC 13th Amendment first, is nevertheless in violation of both the letter and language of the law articulated in Title 18 USC S1961, S1952, S1581, 
dash S1592 and S91, sorry, S957. This racket constitutes perhaps the greatest conflict of interest in U.S. history. Those the people have invested with the responsibility for their public safety have their economic interests tied to maximizing the number of criminal, quote, criminal offenders under their control. Thus, the number of crimes committed and have used these ill-gotten gains to influence legislation and judicial appointments to expand the list of things which are a quote, crime, and deepen the penalty for them, all to enrich themselves and expand their industry's share of the public product, our tax dollars. This clear violation of the RICO Act constitutes a clear and present danger to public safety and welfare, and among the most egregious offenses one can commit under color of law. People, we must not forget this. That is count number seven. We are living with legal slavery. It's slavery and trafficking in persons happening inside of our prisons. This is indictment count number eight. Conspiracy to deny new African political and politicized prisoners free enjoyment of constitutionally protected expression and activity through libel, slander, retaliation, discrimination, perjury, and the preparation of false documents. CDC small r has engaged in a pattern and practice of illegal discrimination and denial of constitutionally protected rights, USC, First Amendment, etc., directed against new African political and politicized prisoners through a campaign of slander, libel, and retaliation, which includes the preparation of false documents and perjury. For decades, leading up to 2015, CDC small r has specifically targeted new African political and politicized prisoners, their associates, ideas, books, literature, language, correspondence, and even their very history for slanderous and libelous characterizations as gang members, gang material, and or gang activity in order to justify unprecedented retaliation, which includes everything from extreme censorship to indefinite solitary confinement. CDC small r, and to a large extent, the U.S. government itself, Department of Homeland Security, law enforcement agencies, correctional lobbies, etc., have waged an over 40-year campaign to dehumanize most anyone the state has characterized as, quote, gangs or gang members. The state has become adept at utilizing such defamatory labels to delegitimize and or criminalize transformative political opposition, which exposes its core contradictions, especially when that opposition is new African or revolutionary in form. This is standard U.S. practice. For example, in 1968, the Chicago Police Department, in conjunction with the FBI, developed an entirely new gang task force that, in spite of having several of the largest and most notorious gangs in the U.S. operating in the city, according to them, had a single target, the Black Panther Party, which, of course, was not a gang. CDC small r took this model to an entirely new level when it not only began to identify imprisoned new African revolutionary nationalists and their associates as gang members, but then utilized this defamatory characterization to subject them to the full force of state sanctions. The terms gang or security threat group, STGs, automatically elicits images in the public's mind 
public's mind of predatory criminal groups plotting how best to prey on others. The great irony here is new African revolutionary nationalists, NARN, who have been falsely labeled gang members or gang associates are themselves dedicated to transforming the new African black criminal mentality into a new African progressive mentality, to finding solutions to gang violence and alternatives to the survival activities of desperately poor communities. Side note, there's a blurb to uh, Sanyika Shakur's stand-up struggle forward, which says, L.A. was fine when I was shooting people. L.A. was fine when I was Monster Cody. But when you become a revolutionary, you become a threat. All right. To be sure, the language of CDCR's Small R's STG management policy contends California security threat groups are routinely and consistently connected to major criminal activities in communities, including such crimes as homicides, drug trafficking, human trafficking, and extortion. STGs are largely responsible for criminal activities within institutions to include the trafficking of narcotics, committing and or directing violence and directing criminal activities, unquote. However, new African revolutionary nationalists in California have never been indicted for a single criminal act, and it is well documented by CDC Small R's Institutional Gang Investigators, IGI themselves, that California imprisoned NARN uh, activists are anti-drug, use or trafficking, anti-prostitution, anti-human trafficking, anti-extortion, and anti-criminal activity, something the drafters of the CDCR STG management policy are fully aware of. The primary purpose of this lie is to criminalize legitimate new African leftist political activism within the California prison system and to prevent its resonance within broader society. To be sure, within the same STG management policy, CDC small r developed an STG disciplinary matrix dedicated to elevating innocuous non-criminal activities and matter to the level of criminal STG behavior. This disciplinary matrix... CCR Title 15 S3378.4 criminalizes conversations, greeting cards, clothing, communications with offenders and others, group exercise, handshakes, artwork, and believe it or not, a color. S3378.27 allows for staff visual and audible observations of, quote, STG offenses for which you will be punished. The First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states, quote, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, unquote. Yet that's precisely what CDCR has done and employed overt defamation to carry this out. We could go on for pages, but the question is already clear. Why would CDCR's public propaganda hype these serious and violent crimes as the focus of state interest when their policy itself focuses primarily on criminalizing things which are, in fact, not crimes. The answer is fairly obvious. Those NARN prisoners, CDC small r has falsely labeled gang members, are in fact anti-crime and have done nothing at all save express their political ideas, so CDC small r must manufacture a basis to criminalize them. NARN prisoners are no more gang members than lions are wolves, and CDC small r knows this. It's an absurdity made more absurd by CDC small r's continued attempts to justify it. 
All right, beautiful people, we are going to have to leave it there. I have run out of time to continue indictment count number eight, but we will get back to it next year. And I do hope the uh, rolling out of this year and moving into the new uh, brings you many blessings. I wish you revolutionary love and humanity, shared humanity, and um, that you have many, many blessings to count and um, many beautiful things to look forward to and build on and, um, and find joy in. So get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer, and I will see you next year. Peace and all power to the people. Ah, and I would be remiss if I didn't say how grateful I am to all of you for spending these many Thursdays over this year with me here on Prison Focus Radio at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. Love y'all, everybody at the station, and to all the listeners, again, wishing you a very, very happy new year. (laughs) 